Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. It is the Christmas season. There's a Christmas season, which means it's time for Christmas cookies and Christmas presents and Christmas movies. And of course, we do this all because our birth, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, happened 2,000 years ago. And because that happened, that means that every year I need to watch Christmas Vacation and I need to eat cutout cookies. And, you know, you know, Cousin Eddie's my hero, but you know what I mean? Like every single year, it's, it's Christmas time and we are in a brand new series. It's going to be this week, next week, and on Christmas Eve this year series is called Christmas Presence. It's a bit of a play on words because we're not talking about the presence we get. We're talking about the presence of Christ, that the presence of Christ was made a reality 2,000 years ago as Jesus stepped onto the pages of human history. And that's what we are celebrating over these next few weeks, the presence of Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes today, we are titling this message, A Greater Reality. That's the title of today's message. I actually had another title for this message. It was going to be, It's Not About You. That was the initial title title. But then I was like, you know what, that's, that's a little bit too much like uh, my youth ministry days, like, you know, you know, back in the day. It's not about you, so throw away your CDs and break up with your girlfriend or the wrath of God is going to be on you. You know what I mean? Like anybody remember that back in the day of this is the hardcore stuff. But, you know, it, there's a little bit to be said, like this, this is important that, to understand that life is not about you, that there's a greater reality that we live for, that there's a greater reality that we exist for. And, and because of that, we have to recognize that not every Everything is about you. In fact, I don't know if, you know, I have to remind myself of this at times that other people are not thinking about you as much as you think they are thinking about you. Other people do not have you on their mind as often as you think, and there's actually a greater reality that we are supposed to be living for. And there's a greater reality that we've been called to live for and to live outside of ourselves and live beyond ourselves and recognize that not everything is about you. Not everything is about me. And it, this can be something that's a little bit difficult for us to wrestle with even at this time of year because even as adults, there are times when there are certain Christmas presents that we want. And if we don't get that Christmas present, we will be very upset. And how could they not get me that gift? I told them that's what I wanted and they didn't get me what I wanted. It's like, it's not about you. Just take a breath. It's not about you. Or if you're hosting family for Christmas this year, it's easy to get really worked up and to think, okay, the house has to look this way and I have to make sure that I have this food ready. And if things don't go, then I could just, I could just lose my mind and I could get really, just take a breath. It's not about you. It's about getting together and enjoying time together. And the reason we celebrate this time is not about me. It's not about you, but it's about a greater reality, the presence of Christ that, that we, are, we live lives and we exist so that our lives can point to him. And for us to better understand this today, I want to take us to another miraculous birth that happens at Christmas time. We, we typically focus on the, the birth of Jesus, but there's another miraculous birth that happens right around the same time of Jesus, and it's the birth of a guy named John the Baptist. See, before John, we have his parents. That's the way things work. And John's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they, they're older, they're a little further on in life, and the scriptures tell us that Elizabeth was barren. She was unable to have a child. And then an angel visits Zechariah, just like an angel visits uh, Joseph and Mary, and lets them know, hey, you are actually going to have a child, and it's going to be a miraculous birth. You think that you're past your season. You think that you're past your time, but you're actually going to have another child. You're actually going to have your first child, another, your first child. And the scriptures say this in Luke chapter 1. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you'll give him the name John. 
you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah gets his vision. You're going to have this son. He's the guy before the guy. In fact, the entire purpose of your son's life is going to be to point to the presence of Christ. That's the entire, the entire point of your son's life is going to be to point to a greater reality beyond himself. And Zechariah thinks, thinks this is crazy at first. He got to push his back on the angel. And the angel says, okay, here's what's going to happen. Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak and talk until your son comes into the world. So Zechariah cannot talk until John the Baptist comes into the world as a baby. But even as a baby, in his mother's womb, before he's even born, he's, we're told by Luke that he is filled with the Holy Spirit because there's a time when Elizabeth and Mary are hanging out and Mary's pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist and John the Baptist jumps in Elizabeth's womb. He jumps because he's so excited to be in the presence of Christ that this is this miraculous baby. And John the Baptist was a unique guy as he grows into adulthood. And while he carried with himself his own presence, his own sort of, this is a unique guy. He never allowed it just to be about him, but his presence always pointed to a greater presence, a greater reality, which is Christ. But like I said, he was, he was unique. He was a different dude. Look at what Matthew chapter three says about him. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. He's a strange guy. Eating locusts and wild honey covered in camel's hair. If John the Baptist was alive today, he would be living out in the wilderness with a YouTube channel, occasionally telling people, here's how you survive in the wilderness. He would be on the Joe Rogan podcast every once in a while saying, here are life hacks for living in the wilderness. And here's why everybody should live in the wilderness. He'd be like the Wim Hof of the wilderness. If you guys know that the guy lives in the cold, he's crazy. But John the Baptist was a different guy. He was man versus wild before man versus wild. He was out there. He was strange. But he began to gather this following. People started to follow after him. He was gaining some influence. People were listening to him, and he never allowed that to get to his head. But instead, he always used his life to point to Christ. His life was about a greater reality. So the first thing I want us to see in John's life is this, is that we have to seek to choose reality over perception. Choose reality over perception. As we're, as we're going into this holiday season and we're considering, you know, is, who's my life about? Is it about me? Is it about Christ? What does that look like? How is that all unfolding? We, we are tempted so often with the way in which we live our lives to live in a perception of reality instead of living in reality itself. Social media has been no, <laughs> has, has not helped us at all with this. You know, and I'm not anti, I actually like social media. I can't wait to get an Instagram back one day, I know. But, uh, but, uh, but, but, Social media gives us this opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to show you 15 seconds or 30 seconds of my life so that you can perceive that this is what the reality of my life is. But the rest of my time, my life is something completely different. And we do that for ourselves. We'll try to get people to think something different about what our life experience really is. Or we will believe that somebody else's life experience is something that it's not. And we live in a perception of who we are as opposed to living in who it is that we truly are. 
We choose perception over reality, or we believe a perception about someone else over reality. When we believe that perception, sometimes we start to get jealous. Sometimes we can't start to get nervous. I can't believe they get to do that. Why is my, you're seeing like a minute of their lives. You don't know what's going on. You don't know why that perception is even out there. But this living in this perception of reality context, it, dis, it disconnects us. And sometimes my concern is, is that we create perceptions about who we are, and this can be outside of social media as well, but we create perceptions about who we are, and then we have some real struggles and some real difficulties that are happening in our lives, and we're nervous to share with people about those things that we're struggling with because the perception that we have is that we could never possibly deal with something like that. And we create a facade, a perception of reality. Uh, earlier this year, I've mentioned this a number of times, one of my favorite specials was released. It was called Inside uh, from this comedian, Bo Burnham on Netflix. And Bo in popular circles is known for his musical comedy, but he also sometimes does like stand-up as well. And at one point, he's doing this kind of sarcastic piece where he's monologuing or joking about the digital world versus the real world. And, and he says this, uh, I, this is almost too true to be comfortable. Like it's, 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 he said, the outside world, the non-digital world, so the non-digital, the, out, is the outside world, is merely a theatrical space in which one stages and records content for the much more real, much more vital digital space. One should only engage with the outside world as one engages with a coal mine, suit up, gather what is needed, and return to the surface. Now, that's an extreme example, but it's also uncomfortably real in some ways. That the real space, we treat the digital space as the real space, and the real space is just a stage for the digital space. So create the perception, to create the facade. And we're running at times from reality itself, and we, once again, like I said, we don't even do this, we don't do this just in social media. We do this in social settings and in social circles. How many of you have been in a conversation before where somebody is talking about something and you have no idea what they're talking about, but you're afraid to say that you don't know what they're talking about because it seems like this should be common knowledge. And so people are talking and you just go, oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I know. I can't believe it. I can't believe that happened either. And you just go along with the conversation. Now, sometimes you do that because the person is just talking and talking and talking. And you're like, I need to get out of this conversation ASAP because they just keep talking and talking and talking. But sometimes you do it because you're embarrassed to say, oh my gosh, I, I don't know that. I should know that. This is common knowledge. Like, oh yeah, this is, oh yeah, I know exactly. I, I know what you mean. It, uh, I know it's crazy out there, right? It's just crazy. And you, you really have no idea what this person's talking about. You're getting ready to go to Google to look up what and see what it is that they're talking about so that you can re-enter the conversation and actually have some knowledge surrounding the topic. We do these things. We create a perception of who we are instead of living in reality itself and seeing who it is that we truly are. And John the Baptist had one of the craziest opportunities to live in a perception of reality as opposed to living in reality itself because of who people were perceiving him to be. Look at this in John chapter three. And the testimony of John, John chapter one, excuse me, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. The fact that he had to say, I am not the Christ, meant that some people probably thought that he was the Christ. That some people were like, hey, is this guy the Messiah? Is he the one who's coming to deliver us? Some people said, hey, are you, are you Elijah? 
Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in all of Israel's history. And it is weird. Later on, Jesus does equate John to Elijah. So maybe in some ways he was, but John didn't fully realize that about himself. But either way, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? People were perceiving John to be somebody that he was not, and he could have easily went with one of those perceptions. And his platform would have increased greatly. He would have gained many more followers. People would have started to buy into what he was saying. John had such loyal followers that after Jesus resurrected, came back from the grave, ascended into heaven, we read in the book of Acts that there were people who were still following John and yet not yet started following Jesus. So he had committed followers and he could have easily went with a perceived view of who he was. Yeah, you know, of course I'm the Christ. I mean, this guy, this guy could have been the one who created the playbook for David Koresh, you know? Like he's the one who could have got things set up and rolling and in stone. Like here's how you start a movement and say, you know, he, he could have been, did you got anybody see Wild Wild Country on Netflix? That thing was wild with uh, Baguan and people took over an entire town in Oregon to follow. It was insane back in the seventies. This is real stuff. This is insane stuff. Like John the Baptist could have been that guy. Yeah, of course not. I'm the prophet. Yeah, follow me. He could have given in to a perceived view of who he was because people were elevating him to a platform that he didn't necessarily even need to be on. But look at his response. He said, no, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, John knew who he was and he was willing to stick by it. I have mad respect for John right here. He could have easily given into a perceived identity and just moved in a different direction, but instead he decided, he said, you know, no, 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 I know my role. And Isaiah the prophet spoke of me. And my presence is meant to point to a greater presence. My reality, the greatest and highest reality that I can live in is to point to a greater reality. He could have easily given into something else, but instead he chose to live in reality instead of a perception. A number of years ago, I was on a ministry team, and I know that peer pressure is one of those things that's supposed to go away when you're an adult, but it doesn't all the time, at least for me. Maybe I'm just the one who needs help. I don't know. But I, I was on this ministry team, and we were in this circle, and we were all talking about our aspirations for ministry and what we wanted to do one day. And I knew that I wanted to start a church one day and be a church planter, and I thought, I'm really, for some reason, I was like nervous to share that in the group that I was in. And so I decided, I'm going to say something different. I don't know what to say. And I was in kind of an academic circle. And so I don't know why I said this. Like when I look back and and look at what I said, I I can't believe this is what I said I wanted to do one day. I spoke up and said, I would like to be a New Testament scholar. Like, what? A New Testament? I I am not a scholar at all. I'm not an academic person. This is the dumbest thing that I've ever said in my, well, maybe not the dumbest thing I've ever said in my entire life, but one of the dumbest things I've ever said in my entire life. This is what I want to be. I want to be a New Testament scholar. And people are like, oh, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. The next couple of years, I had people asking me questions about the New Testament on my team because they thought, oh, you want to be a scholar? You know, you've researched this. When Paul said this in Romans, what did he mean? I I have no idea. I got to go to Google or something. I'll look that up for you. You know, because I'm not one of those people. You know, there's some people out there who can tell you what Paul meant better than Paul can tell you what Paul meant. I am not one of those people. That is not me. You know, people, what Paul really meant here. Well, I'm glad you were there 2,000 years ago talking to him. Good for you. But anyways, that's not me. That's not me. And, and so I, and I was living in this perceived view of who, I, of who I said, oh, this is who I want to be. And people were asking me, and I, I, my, my, I started to feel crushed in that environment because I was living, I was living in a perceived view of, of somebody that I really wasn't. 
And when you start living in a perception of reality, instead of living in the highest and greatest reality itself that you were born and designed to live as a child of God in the kingdom of God, when you start to live in a perception over reality itself, your identity will begin to crush in that space. It'll begin to break down in that space because you can't hold everything up. John goes on to say this. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John said, I know exactly, he, he has a higher rank than I, he existed before me. Behold, here comes the lamb. This is what I exist for, to point to him, a greater reality, to point to his presence above all else, not my own presence. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. John was the ultimate siren. He was the ultimate warning. If John spoke in tongues, his prayer language would sound like a siren because he's warning people. He's letting them know, the Messiah is here. You guys better pay attention and get your eyes off of me. You better listen. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. Because John understood that his life was about a reality beyond his. And, and I believe this, is, this, this concept applies to every single one of us today as well. That instead of living in a perception of this is who I think people said, just embrace the kingdom reality. And here's the beauty of this. When you or I, when we choose to surrender and, and live in the reality that Christ has designed for us, when we begin, begin to live in the kingdom life and, the, and to live in God's kingdom, what happens is, is who you are is no longer all on you, but it's all on him. And he will shape you into who it is that he has designed you to be. And instead of living in a perception, you can live in reality itself. And the reality that you have, it doesn't have to be about you, but it can actually point to him. It's actually intended to point to him. Second thing we see from John is to choose cooperation over competition. Cooperation over competition. Maybe I'm the only person in this room who has this problem, but sometimes I'll find myself competing with people when it's not even necessary. They don't even know that I'm competing with them, but I'm doing it in my mind. I'll be meeting with other pastors or telling me about their church. I'm thinking in the back of my head, yeah, I bet your small groups are good. Well, we got story groups and our story groups are way better than your small groups. Like, why am I thinking these things? That's horrible. I, I know some people are cheering right now, but that's a bad attitude. Don't cheer for that. <laughs> I like our story groups, but that, you know, like I'm thinking, you know, oh yeah, your worship team. Have you seen our worship team? You know, like what, I, 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 like, why am I doing this? And we sometimes create these internal competitions with people. We know the holidays are a perfect time for this. You're getting ready to go to that family gathering and you're about to see that person who you haven't seen since the last gathering and they're in the same career field as you and you're thinking to yourself, I'm gonna tell them that I got a raise this past year. I bet they didn't get a raise because they're gonna come and brag about this. I'm gonna brag about that. I'm gonna one-up them. Why do we make these competitions? I don't have kids yet, but I hear these things with, with parents as well. You know, well, my child was on the honor roll. Oh <laughs> yeah, well, my child was the MVP of his peewee football team. Good for you, good for you. Like, can't we just cooperate with each other? Why do we have to compete with one another and always be one-upping one another and have these internal competitions where it's like, I'm a little bit above you. And it, it kind of like shows a little bit of narcissism that we all deal with with our own insecurities where we want to say, I got the edge right now. I'm a little bit ahead of you. But we were actually created and designed to cooperate with God and his purposes and also cooperate with one another, to work with one another. John had some followers who came to him and they were trying to turn this whole thing into a competition in John chapter three, because Jesus starts baptizing people. People are following Jesus. Look at this in John three. Therefore, those, there arose a discussion on part of John's disciples. It was with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, 
Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptized and all are coming to him. Some translations say, he's baptizing more people than you. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. There's, oh, John, we have a problem right now. This Jesus guy who you, he's baptizing people. This is horrible. Now I get it. They would have come to him and said, hey, this Jesus guy who you baptized, people think that you're affiliated with him and, and you know, he's doing something horrible, John. He's telling people that he's gonna baptize them and then he holds them underwater and then he grabs those guys, James and John, the sons of thunder, and they just hold people and drown them. Okay, that would be a problem. He's waterboarding people, John, and people think you're affiliated with him. We gotta do something about this. That would be a problem. They're prob- he's baptizing people. This is horrible, John. He's, bapti- he's baptizing more people than you. But John understood that in the way of the kingdom, it's not about competition. It's about cooperation and cooperating with what God is doing and cooperating with what what other people are doing within God's kingdom and working and moving together. John goes on to say, so you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. John is saying, my joy has been made full because the bridegroom Christ is playing his part in coming for his bride. My joy is made full. John paints the picture of himself as the best man. And I have to say, John is the ultimate best man. John is the best man who, when he's standing at the wedding, he's looking at the bride and groom with a big smile on his face, one hand over the other, you know, the perfect stance, whatever that is. And he's just focused on them the entire time. John is not the best man who you whip out your wedding video two years later and you say, he was not looking at us the entire time. He was looking off in the air. He had his hands in his pockets. He's this and that. He's not the best man who's whispering to the groom, hey, you shouldn't do this. No, he is the ultimate best man. He's the ultimate best man. Rejoicing that the bridegroom is coming for his bride. All attention, all eyes on Jesus. It's not about my presence. It's about his presence. It's about a greater reality. We must learn, as in the words of C.S. Lewis, I love that C.S. Lewis said that we have to learn to play the great parts without pride and the small parts without shame. To learn to play the great parts without pride and the small parts without shame. When John first stepped onto the pages of history in, in the Gospels, he has this great part. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. People are following, people are listening, people are thinking, are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Who are? And he's playing this great role without pride pointing to Jesus. And then it seems as if his influence begins to decrease and Christ begins to increase. He's playing a small part without shame. Wherever you find yourself, maybe you're in a role where, or, or a spot in life where a lot of people are looking at you and seeing you. What we have to do is discipline our hearts and our minds to play the great parts without pride and play the small parts without shame. Nobody sees me right now. Nobody knows what I'm doing right now. It's all a part of the kingdom. And if you're working towards what the kingdom of God is calling us to in Christ, learn to play the great parts without pride and the small parts without shame. And other people do not exist for us to compete with them, but we are here to cooperate with God and cooperate with others so that his kingdom can come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And lastly, choose humility over hype. There was a lot of hype surrounding John the Baptist. We know that. We already went over that. Like, are you the prophet? Like, there was a lot of hype. Time and time again, he chose humility over hype. 
And we almost have this sickness, specifically people who find themselves in my generation, us, us wonderful millennials who are shaping the world right now. Like we, we have this sickness where we want all eyes to be on us, but we want to tell people when all eyes can be on us. Like not right now. No, not right now. But hey, I just uploaded this post and it, t- it better get enough likes. It better get enough likes. Everybody better be looking at this right now. No, don't look at this over here, but you better look at this right now. I need all the eyes to be on me right now. Oh my gosh, it only got, it only got 150 likes. It should um, I was supposed to get 300 likes. Oh, man, all the eyes are supposed to be on me right now. We want to be able to tell people when all eyes should be on us. We have like, the sickness of wanting people to see us but not see us. And we have to discover what it means to just get out of your own head. And don't, you don't have to have hype surrounding you, but instead choose the way of humility. Choose the way of taking a step back and knowing that the greatest reality that you can live in is to point to a greater reality. John makes a powerful statement. It's, it's almost like a, a mantra for his life. This statement is one of those statements that I, you, know, you could write down and, and put, put on a wall in your house somewhere and just use as inspiration. Some of you have heard this statement. You know John said it. Some of you didn't know John said it. But John, John makes this really powerful statement in John 3.30. He says this, he, in reference to Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. He must become greater, some translations say. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. As, as we get closer to a time where it's going to be tempting at times, it's, it's all about me and what I want and, 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 and you know, what I want my Christmas experience to be, me, 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 it's not, or just in life in general, like uh, the, me, 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 I want this, I need that, I want this, I need that. Where do we need to just say, hey, you know what? I need to decrease and allow him to increase in my life. An application question you could write down today is this, in what area of my life must I decrease? In what area of life must I decrease? What area of my life have I just been getting in the way? In what area of my life have I actually been choosing perception over reality and been trying to create this facade, but it's actually exhausting me? It's exhausting me. I just need to step back and allow Christ to shape me into who it is that he's called me and, and designed me to be. Or in what areas have you been choosing competition? It's just getting exhausting, always trying to beat the next person or one up the next person and say, you know what? I'm going to decrease. You know what? The only person I'm going to compete against is myself and just try to get better each and every day. In what area are you saying, uh, you know, I've been giving into the hype. People are saying this and that about me and look at the, what I've done and look at all that I've accomplished. You know what? I'm just going to choose humility. In what areas do I need to decrease? In what areas have I been trying to gain control, but I need to just give control to him? Just surrender control to him. In what areas have I been getting in the way? In what areas do I need to say, it's time to decrease and allow him to increase? Earlier this year, we did a series called Different Kind of Church, and we were going through the book of Ephesians. And one of my favorite statements from Paul in Ephesians is Ephesians 1.3, where he writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He hasn't blessed us with some spiritual blessings. He hasn't blessed us with the spiritual blessings he feels like blessing us with. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That when we know Christ, we have all spiritual blessings in Christ. That's unbelievable. Something that we can not even fathom or fully even wrap our minds around. But when we decrease, and we allow him to increase, we will experience more of that blessing. But let's not get that confused either. God is not holding on to something 
and then saying, okay, I'll give you this. He's not dangling something in front of us and saying, come along, come along. God is, God is not playing games with us. It's not, oh, decrease. I'm going to decrease so that he will give me more. That's not how it works. It's I'm going to decrease so that I can see more of what it is that he has already given me. And he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. And guess what? The blessings aren't just for you to consume. It's so that you can become who he's called you to be. And your life doesn't just point to you, but it points to him. That just as John the Baptist exists for a greater reality, to point to Christ, you exist for a greater reality as well. You don't have to live in the pressure if it's all about me, but instead you can allow the kingdom of God to shape who you are. And I believe, church, that as we move forward in this, that we can become a people, that we choose reality over perception, that we don't break under the pressures of perception, but we choose the reality of a kingdom life because living in the kingdom is the greatest reality that we could possibly live in, that we will choose cooperation over competition, that we will work with God and work with others to work for eternity and not for that which is temporary and that we will choose humility over hype where he must increase and I must decrease. Let's become that people today, church, that we will say yes to him, that we will say no to ourselves and we will live for a greater reality, which is his kingdom purposes, his eternal purposes above all else. Let's become the people that instead of creating our own moments, we will surrender and join God in his movement.